To commemorate Yom HaShoah, or Holocaust Remembrance Day, I had the honor of speaking with Evelyn Luker, a third-generation Holocaust survivor, about her family's history and the important role her grandparents played in the Nuremberg trials. My name is Honey Geist. Welcome to Coffee Connections. Evelyn's family history began at the Nuremberg trials, where her grandparents met as interpreters. In this episode, you'll hear more about the relevance of interpreters at the trial and the unique remembrance memorials called Stolpersteine or stumbling stones. Now, Evelyn works as an international educator in the U.S., where her personal story and professional career intersect. A short disclaimer, we recorded this episode in 2020, so you will hear some references that are not as recent. The overall conversation, though, is as relevant today as it was then. And now... Have a listen. Hani, thanks so much again for having me. My name is Evelyn Luker, and I'm currently the Assistant Director of Study Away at the University of Redlands, which is a small liberal arts school east of Los Angeles. Your last name somewhat sounds German. I know a little bit about you. We had a chance to connect at a conference, and uh, you just briefly talked about your family history. And I've tried to get you on the podcast for a while now, and I'm really happy that now we made it happen. But why don't you talk a little bit about your background? And I know there's a lot to talk about. So um, just have a go at it. And then I'll probably have a lot of follow up questions. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. So my last name is definitely German. I guess technically I have three German grandparents. So it's always funny, um, especially in America, right? The way that students, our students do, and even just as far as our identities, the way that we claim heritage. So I do consider myself German. However, it's really just my grandparents who are German. Both my parents were born here in the United States. My mom has two German parents. And then actually my father, one of his parents was also German. So I guess technically I am 75% if you want to get really into the nitty gritty about it. When we met, you you started talking a little bit about your history. And I know that one of my questions was, do you have a German passport? Do you at this point have one? I still do not have one. But um, part of one of the many reasons I enjoyed meeting you so much is I learned that I am eligible for one. Mm -hmm. um, I'll share a little bit more of that. My family has a very um, wonderful, unique complicated history with Germany. I am a third generation Holocaust survivor and both of my mom's parents were German Jewish and um, they actually returned to Germany and met and fall in love well, while interpreting at the Nuremberg trials. So they were both native German speakers and enlisted in the American army when they were looking for um, interpreters. So because of that, and because I think, honey, when you first told me about it, I didn't know very much about these laws, right? But I think there's something, if your family um, was, was German and then denied citizenship under the Third Reich, something like this, there's now a wonderful program kind of to reinstate you, which I think um, is a beautiful program. So after I found out about that, I did a little bit more of my own research and it's definitely something now that I've discussed. My mom has to do it first. So part of it is kind of pushing her to do it, but especially as someone who works in international education, I would love to have a German passport. Um, I guess for me personally, I feel I kind of need to 
do a little bit more German heritage speaking before I necessarily deserve having one of those passports. But I've kind of started on my own journey because of that. So um, one day I plan to have a passport. That's a good way to put it, I suppose. Well, if it makes you feel better, there are a lot of kids with the German passports in the United States and their families don't necessarily speak German to them. And I say that now a month and a half before my first daughter is born and I have all the, all the intentions to really only speak German with her, but my husband speaks English and we live here in a, in a pretty much American bubble. So I'm going to try to find German opportunities as much as possible. But it is a challenge if you don't live in a German community. Young people with a German passport here in the United States, they definitely are German, but they don't necessarily speak fluent German. Right. I think we're seeing more and more of that. Unfortunately, language acquisition as a whole is sort of declining, which I think is something very unfortunate but yes thank you for the reassurance i guess one day and again you'll you'll teach your daughter german i'm sure we've got we've got some hope for her but one day i might be one of the many passport holders that doesn't necessarily speak german gosh i have so many questions where to start this question relates to your uh, professional background because you did study at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies. And one of their programs is uh, specifically the interpreting. So they're, mm. they're well known for interpreting. And so you, you did mention that your grand, great grandparents were at the Nuremberg trial interpreting. So um, I know a little bit about that and the importance of that, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit more and what that actually meant for your, for your family. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yes, like you said, I was a graduate. Um, we abbreviated MISS, the Middlebury Institute for International Studies. Um, I got my master's in international education management. Um, and unbeknownst to me, before I got to MISS, I didn't know very much about their interpretation programs. And I especially was unaware that they have a German program. Um, so when I first got there, I contacted the German interpretation professor, um, a woman, Jacqueline, who is still a very close friend. And she actually started me on my own journey. There was a lot of family history we actually didn't know about until I met her and kind of stumbled upon this. So one of the things I, I told her who I was in my grandparents' story, and um, she asked a colleague about me that not only knew who my family was, but this colleague had actually flown all the way to Pennsylvania to visit my grandmother before she passed away in her retirement home and had interviewed her about her experience interpreting in the trials. And um, so she responded with that with asking me if I had been to the exhibit that existed on my grandparents. And I said, what exhibit? I didn't know there was an exhibit that my grandparents were in. Um, and the first time I got to visit this exhibit was in San Francisco. Um, and not only did they speak about my grandparents, but it turns out my grandfather um, kept a personal journal kind of talking about the, um, the different physical appearances and the mannerisms of some of the largest, um, you know, war crime, uh, I'm trying to say, I don't remember, defendants, I guess they were the defendants, but um, his kind of diary and entries about them are some of the only that exist. So there was this journal that um, someone was holding up, presenting about, and it was in my grandfather's handwriting. And we didn't even know that that item existed. So just one of the many 
examples of things I kind of uncovered through MIST and stumbling upon this organization that is looking to research and preserve the memory of the interpreters and really just of the trials as a whole. So, so that was really interesting and has been a gift to my family to get to learn more about that. And I'm still in touch with them and still presenting sometimes at conferences. And my mom and I gave a addressed a convention in Geneva recently and things like this all, all because of those connections. So that's really been fantastic for us. And maybe just for, for someone who um, doesn't know, can you uh, just briefly elaborate on uh, the importance of the Nuremberg trials and the and especially for interpreters, um, because based on what I know, this has been this was the first time actually for this kind of interpretation and on that scale in particular, right? Absolutely. Um, and I'm glad you bring that up. I guess I'll preface it with I am not a historian <laughs> or an expert in interpretation. So um, as I share, if you're interested, please also conduct your own research because um, most of my memories are, are from my grandparents. Um, basically, if you can picture your grandparents telling you about their jobs, right? So um, I'm not at all an expert, but um, to my understanding, yes, the Nuremberg trials were very important in the interpretation world because it was the first instance where simultaneous interpretation was used. There were so many um, allied countries that were involved in the trials that um, previously, right, people had given testimony and then it was translated. Translation is the written um, written interpretation versus in interpreting is spoken. So it was translated, it was written down and then referenced later. But for these trials, it was so important to have um, all of the allied countries. I think it was interpreted into four different languages. They needed it done in real time. So that was how this search began to have um, interpreters who could speak a variety of languages be able to interpret into four different languages all at once. It's the first time that this happened. Um, so both my grandfather and my grandmother were on the German team interpreting from their um, native language into English. And of course, uh, you can think there are some issues there, right? When we look at would people personally impacted by crimes and trials these days be able to interpret in a trial Probably not, but this was something unprecedented, and most of the interpreters, most of everyone in the in the involved in the trials, had some connection to it in some way. Um, so it's definitely an interesting history lesson, interesting lesson in interpretation. And then in my family, funny enough, this is just where my grandparents mm -hmm. fell in love. They needed mm -hmm. to escape the trials afterwards, and so mm -hmm. they would go on a series of dates. And when you look in history books at some of these terrifying Nazi criminals and the trials in the background, right? You'll see one or two people who are my grandparents and knowing that afterwards, right? They were mm -hmm. going behind the courthouse to have a cigarette or to try and chat with each other. It's it's a very interesting um, kind of window into the lives of people who are involved. So, yeah. And so did you um, talk to your grandparents or maybe find out through their writing um, kind of the emotional impact because I I would assume of course um, it's it's a it's a job it's it's very technical also while you're interpreting but then because it's a trial and because you're face to face with the people that led to uh, so much pain also for you personally for your family um, do you know how that how that was for your 
for your grandparents and maybe also for others? This is a fantastic question um, and something that I think is very popular and important in the interpretation committee, right, uh, or community is that um, how can you kind of personally separate from the material that you're interpreting? And again, I'm not an expert and people will have very different answers on how to do that, but I know um, it is something that we spoke about with with my grandparents, not a ton with my grandfather before he passed away, but as I grew older and kind of started to understand what this job was and what my grandmother was doing, um, it was something I was curious about and got to speak with her about. And um, I mean, as background, not only was she a survivor, um, she was not in a concentration camp. She was in an internment camp because she was able to escape Germany, but then was suspected of being a German spy, as unfortunately many Germans were. Um, so she was in an internment camp and then was released, returned to Germany. But by this time, um, at the young age of 23, she was already orphaned. Both of her parents um, had died. And so having to return under those circumstances and be 23 and sit there across from some of the biggest, scariest Nazi generals um, and interpret, I can only imagine what that was like. But the way that she explained it, and I think how a lot of interpreters explain what they do and how they're able to do it, um, is that you kind of turn off um, the personal side of things, right? And my Omi had shared that sometimes she wouldn't even remember the actual things that were spoken about because your only function is stringing these sentences together and making sense out of the different words and the different contexts of what's being said. Um, and then when you're done, it's almost like, you know, what happened? What was it that I was just talking about? Because you have to be so present and in the moment, you're not taking the time to process how that impacts you or what that means to you. You're actually just looking at the literal meaning, if that makes sense. And again, this explanation is coming from someone who is not an interpreter, who is not necessarily even fluent in the second language. Um, but but these are just what what my Omi told us and what she was able to talk about. So that's my understanding of how she personally dealt with it. And just as a side note, I'm I'm a linguist, but I'm not an interpreter, but I know it's just so fast paced. It's incredible how while uh, people still talk, you already um, you think about what you're going to say and and you just remember so much. I mean, they have their shorthand, of course, but it's it's really um, incredible. So um, I yeah, I do find it very interesting personally, too. Um, but so you said that while you were a student, you actually for the first time heard about some things um, about your family. And I know you actually now also teach teach a class and engage with international or study abroad students so why don't you tell me a little bit more about how like how your work is now influenced by your personal story you're right i didn't know a ton of this before i was at mists um, and i wish i'm forgetting the the name of the organization i'll have to send it to you after but there's a fantastic organization that's actually based in germany um, that is still doing a lot of research and presentations on these trials specifically. And I'm indebted to them for helping me to uncover so much about my own family. Um, and, and I'll send you the information on that presentation in case anyone wants to check it out as well. Um, it does travel all around the world. But 
for, for me personally, so my grandmother, not only through her work in the trials, but after having such a, um, a traumatic and her upbringing filled with so much loss in so many different ways, um, it was really important to her to kind of speak up for others and to give voice to the voiceless. And I think many interpreters, the work they do is so important because they're making sure we can honor folks no matter what their language is. Um, and my grandma did that and then mainly just lived her life. Um, she always said this, apparently Einstein may have said it once or twice too, but that you either look at everything as a miracle or nothing as a miracle. Sounds more poetic, I think the other way you're supposed to say it. You look at nothing as a miracle or everything as a miracle. Um, and my grandmother, fortunately enough, was very, um, very much the latter, right? She looked at everything as kind of a miracle and she could find the beauty in a rock, essentially. She was just very good at being appreciative. Um, and I think that outlook really saved her life, not only mentally, but because of the choices she made and the way she was able to move on. And then also made it, she was constantly um, trying to give back and she became a large part of something called the Ethical Humanist Society and took in many refugees and international travelers um, of all sorts because I think she related to them in many ways and felt very lucky that um, she could kind of give back in that way. And so luckily that was very much passed down not only to my mom but to myself that I definitely say my life is for paying it forward and just um, I enjoy life more that way. I find it very fulfilling and I love working with others in that way. And for me, it's extremely important that we learn to not only tolerate, but celebrate those who are different than us. And for me, the best way to do that is through international education. That's why I've kind of dedicated my life to do it. I think undergraduate education is always important. Don't get me started on capitalism and what academia looks like now. Maybe that's why I send students away from that, but um, not to discredit universities, they're fantastic places. Um, but I think arguably the most important thing you can do in, under, in your undergraduate career um, is to learn about others. And that really helps you to learn about yourself. And what better way to learn about another culture than going and living it and experiencing it abroad, which is why like the work that you do and the work that so many do is so important, connecting cultures and creating opportunities for us to get to know people who are different. So that's definitely what steered me to my career. And I know I started out in the tech industry in San Francisco and grandma didn't love that. She didn't really understand what it was, but she was very happy when I steered back um, to international education and to miss. Although it's more I, lucrative in the tech world. Oh, it certainly was. That's why I don't live in San Francisco anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, wherever you're at, you just kind of have to ask, if it feeds your wallet and your soul. And I'm lucky I found something that does both and that made, um, I call her Omi, but I know German it's Oma, right? But a lot of kids, I, I struggled with differentiating do, between. It's both. And I don't even know, there, there is no, like it has the same meaning and the same, maybe the, the Omi with the I is a little bit more cutesy than Oma, but it, it literally it's is used interchangeably in germany oh good i'm glad you told me i always thought that was just my um mm -hmm. inexperience in german that led me to that but maybe i'm not <laughs> not so different after all but um my only yeah my i think that's a that that's a personal preference okay perfect 
Um, well, yes, it's nice to do something I know my OMI approved of as well. Tell me a little bit more about what you what you share with your students now and what that also means to you. This is a great question. It really depends on the student, I think. Um, some of my students, it depends through our work how you know personally we get to know them. Um, some folks who work in study abroad kind of just end up doing the admin side of things, which is also very important, right? You need someone to logistically plan for your experience, but I consider the lucky ones like myself who have the opportunity to really advise students and help them figure out what is it that you're trying to learn about the world or what is it that you're trying to learn about yourself and plan their experience that way. And part of the reason I went to work at the University of Redlands is we actually offer classes um, both before and after study away experiences to help you um, plan and then also to unpack and really process what the experience is, how it impacted you and why it impacted you in that way. Um, I didn't have so, that so and I know that I've been involved in in lessons from abroad conferences mm -hmm. and uh, when I whenever I went and I uh, attended sessions all of a sudden it's like yeah that's how I felt and even 20 years later unpacking some of the things that I experienced and I really do wish that I had had that uh, support and the the, the pre-departure, but also then coming back and, and talking about all of that because you have that experience, but you really need to unpack it to, to also understand. So I'm glad Absolutely. the University of Redlands really offers that. So that's really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm glad that you could benefit from lessons from abroad. I'm a huge fan of that organization as well. Um, and was able to co-chair and work on a couple conferences. Um, and then, yes, I think it's amazing work that Redlands is doing. Um, quite a few other programs and universities are starting to offer classes like that, which I think is great. Hopefully that's just a trend in academia that it's becoming more student-centered and student-focused as well. Um, but yes, I think they're so important. Um, I'm glad you said that. So, and. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily did that myself when I went as much as I could have, but I'm glad that now we get to support our students in doing that. So sometimes I share this with students. Um, it sort of depends. It depends on what they're interested in. It depends on where they're going. Um, I also have the privilege of overseeing um, our Salzburg program, which is unique to Redlands. We basically have a satellite camp campus in Salzburg, Austria. So we have a fantastic director there on the ground. And then I'm able to kind of assist with pre-departure and recruiting students from our home, home campus. So I had the privilege of visiting that campus in February, which was quite interesting right before things got- Right before, really, yeah. Right, really COVID-y when they were just sort of COVID-y. Um, and when I was there, we have a fantastic faculty member who teaches Holocaust studies. So of course, you know, I, I kind of worked with him a little bit and was able to speak to the students. And that was actually a pretty unique opportunity to combine my personal history with my international education work. But it has overlapped a couple of times and I, I enjoy it when it does. So one of the things that you shared with, with me ahead of time was um, you're also your your family's um, representation in the Stolpersteine. 
And uh, if if you know anything about the Holocaust and, and remembrance, you're aware of it. But for as someone who's not familiar with that, would you explain what that is and then also how it connects to your own family history? Absolutely. I won't say it as beautifully as you did, though. I think <laughs> I could say it Stein, which is absolutely not right. Stopelsteiner, right, is better. Um, maybe I need to practice, but the... Um, in remembrance, I think there's so many different memorials and and different ways to go about it. And I think um, anyone who was impacted by the Holocaust, you know, on either side, we have different relationships with remembrance um, and everyone has kind of their own experience and their own reaction to, to different things. But for me personally, I had no idea what these even were or what that meant. Um, but my a family member, maybe a family friend, heard that there was this very unique kind of art installation and remembrance piece that had gone on all over Eastern Europe, right? Not unique to Germany. There are Stoppelsteine in Spain and all different places. And basically what they are, um, they're tiny little, almost like a gold brick with the name and the last known date of a person um, who, I wonder how I should say it, I guess basically met their demise or, or um, I don't know, was murdered or they were taken from a place and that um, being taken led to their death essentially. So the brick is kind of saying, this is the last known place of this person. Um, to remember and to create a visualization of all the people um, that existed and were taken from their homes as a result of the Holocaust. Um, and it's, it's really interesting because they now write, they exist in these places that are very busy, and you know, normal, right? And um, the one that I visited in Austria, there's a bakery across the street and there's kids walking over these stones and going to school. And I think that's, it's a beautiful installation and that's really part of it is to say, right, we, we can build over this as much as we want, but this still happened here. And had this not happened, these people would be here walking on top of these stones instead of being remembered as one of these stones. Um, so interesting you know, installation, I think kind of a, a beautiful message and it was received mostly well, but of course, like any arts, there were, there were some folks who were not so happy about these stones being put in all across Eastern Europe, but I encourage you to Google it, look it up. It's, it's an incredible installation, a great project and fascinating enough to us, we had no idea, but there is a stone where my great grandmother um, was taken from her home. So that was my Omi's mother, her name was Betty. Um, and she died in a concentration camp and her last known address in Cologne in Germany now has one of these little gold stones in front of it. Um, I don't know, how did these folks get all of this information? I have no idea, but kind of in my mind, such a beautiful gesture, right? That, and I don't even know the artist, I guess I kind of assumed they were German because this happened in Germany, but the thought that someone there would be taking a time to find all of these people's information. And they have no idea, right? That they have, that if they ever had children or grandchildren, if it will mean anything to anyone else. But the fact that someone took the time to learn about her, to um, carve her name into a golden stone and then to lay it in to the street um, from the house that she lived in, to me was just outstanding and amazing. And who are they? I hope to find them at some point and thank them. Um, so my mom was able to find it on the Google, as she calls it. She found a picture of it on the Google and sent it to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, this exists in Germany. I can't believe it. And then 
I probably went back to watching TV or whatever I was doing. And that was how I learned about the Stoppelsteine. Um, but then, long story endless, uh, when I went to visit this program in Austria, I was walking along the street in Salzburg and I saw a little gold stone on the ground. And I didn't even think to make the connection until I kind of knelt down to look at it and saw it looked exactly like my great grandmother's, meaning that sure enough, this was one of those stones. And then I looked up to realize they were all over the street. So just like the people I saw, you know, mindlessly walking on top of these in photos, I was one of those people going about life that all of a sudden was realizing, you know, I was on top of a memorial for people um, just like my family. And, and then I had this interesting process of, do I want to talk about this? Do I want to bring this up? Is this sad? Do I feel guilty for bringing up this big painful memory? Do I feel like no one will be able to relate to it and they won't understand? What if I cry? Do I want to show emotion? Blah, blah, blah. All of these things that I think our students have to think about depending on how their identities um, are triggered or how their identities come up in their own experiences through international education. And for me, it was a very important reminder that everyone experiences things so differently and you never know what will trigger a student, right? You, this was just a little stone on the floor and I was suddenly brought to tears and felt very isolated and alone and confused. Um, so it's important to remember just everyone experiences things so differently. So we just have to work to try and honor different identities and create a space where people feel comfortable speaking or even not speaking when these things happen. And just remember, we don't know what each other are going through. Um, I think that was kind of the question that you asked. How did I do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and, and I do think that, I mean, that's opening up another can of worms, but I, I think that it's important to talk about those difficult things um, because well, we we suffer if we don't talk about them, and I think it's important to have conversations. And I mean, that is that is one aspect that I um, certainly Germany has a lot to still work through. But just the effort that Germany made and kind of working through some of its history and and really talking about it and trying to yeah understand its own history and trying to. Um, not have it repeat itself and um, just acknowledging the the pain that it caused all the suffering and I do have to say too I I grew up in Berlin and I mean I just never paid attention to it only when I actually learned about it in school and not even in school I think I learned about it when I was a MA German student at Arizona State University, where mm -hmm. I had a, a Holocaust class, uh, and uh, we learned about those those stumbling stones. And then the next summer, when I went to Berlin, I really paid attention for the first time, and they were just all over. And so it's it's just so powerful how they're integrated into the city. And of course, once you notice one you mm. notice another one and then you realize how how many there actually are and i think especially like having them in front of a house and as you say knowing that this is the last known address it's just um there are so many memorials in in germany they're always kind of detached and you don't really know what to make of it and i think those are really 
powerful. They tell a story and especially tell very individual stories. Hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's also just encourages why we always have to keep learning, right? Because once you learn about something like this, it was just a part of your daily life, maybe almost that you didn't notice. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then you know to look for it. And then you understand it a little bit more and you can empathize a little bit more, right? I think, um, yeah, I think that's beautiful. And and of course there's more work to be done in Germany. Um, but a lot of times I, I do think, um, especially in America, we're giving credit. And in some ways, I think we have a lot to learn from um, Germany and how, uh, even though it's very painful, Holocaust remembrance has been intertwined so deeply in both in education and, and out in the public. And I think as America is going through our own um, grappling with systemic oppression and treatment of minoritized communities, it's important to look at there are other places that have figured out, although it's painful, how to teach and how to incorporate these lessons in their educational systems. Like you said, just we have to make sure it doesn't happen again, right? Um, and that's something we all are responsible to do. Um, so yeah. And now, um, actually, this is a beautiful loop to the beginning of our conversation when I asked you uh, if you do have the German passport. So, um, what does that actually mean to you now at this point to explore the opportunity to become a German citizen? What does that mean to you and your family? That is another fantastic <laughs> question. How long do we have? Um, I think it's an extremely important question. Um, it's interesting. So my my grandparents, when they when they came out of Germany, of course they were still German, but as you can imagine, they had a very complex relationship with their German identity. Um, and at first, they didn't want to speak German in front of their children. They didn't want them to learn German. But my mother, being the rebel that she is, went on and learned it anyway, so she could understand what they were saying about her. Um, but she didn't teach it to me, so I don't speak German. Um, but I think no matter the history learning about your heritage can be very beneficial maybe it brings me back to this point of everyone experiences things so differently um so in my own journey there's certain things i've wanted to spend a lot of time learning about and certain things that certain wounds i don't want to reopen i guess you could say um but in my own journey i have been able to say understanding and learning about other people has always benefited me um, and one of my favorite experiences when I studied abroad, I was studying in Paris and I had a German classmate and we became friends and he liked that I was American and was super welcoming. And then I, I, at first I was like, do I tell him that I'm German and Jewish? Like, how do I explain that? Like my grandparents moved in the forties. That's kind of obvious, right? What happened? Like, how do I talk about this? Um, and eventually, I don't know, maybe we had some beers and, and I kind of said something about my bat mitzvah. And he had already figured out that I had a German last name and he kind of put it all together. And then he was even more nice and was like, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I can meet you. It's a really big privilege to meet you. And would you go back to Germany? Like, would you want to go to Germany? And eventually, actually, they were having an exhibit in Nuremberg. And so I convinced my mom to come out and I met her in Germany so we could go together. And my German friend had found out that we were there and he lived hours and hours away from Nuremberg, but he drove like five hours 
and he said he insisted on coming and that his family wanted us to know he was coming on behalf of the entire family and he insisted on like being our tour guide and taking us to dinner and he was he was just incredible and i don't feel that any of that was necessary but that process that entire friendship i think was so cathartic for both of us it meant a lot to him to be able to really make like a German Jewish American friend and get to know me. And we're so many generations removed from what happened, right? But it still meant a lot for him to get to know me. And it meant so much for me to get to know him and just, you know, get to know like a cool young German person. That was great. And, you know, dispel maybe some of the things I thought that he might think about me or that I might think about him. Um, there's just so much humanity in actually getting out in the world and getting to meet you know, getting to meet other people. So when I ask about how do I feel about now about getting a German passport, I would love to have a German passport. I would love to meet more German people. Not everyone will experience me in the same way, right? But to me, having an open mind and getting out there, I think it normally goes better than you think it will, right? Um, so I would love to kind of get more reconnected with my German history. And that's part of the reason I was so glad that I met you and that you wanted to have me on. And I would just encourage anyone who's listening, you know, normally the fears are unfounded. And when you actually get out into the world and have these experiences, they, they go better than you'd think. Um, not always. And then it's good to find people that help you get support, right? When it doesn't go how you'd think. But for the most part, it's good to just go out there and have these experiences. Yeah. And I I mean, this, the, the same is true for me. I'm so glad that we were able to connect because, um, I mean, I don't know your friend, but from my perspective, growing up in Germany, a lot of the history lessons that I was exposed to was about the years 33 through 45. And so um, you you grow up, at least my generation, I was born in 82, um, grew up with a lot of the guilt, a lot of the history. And, and while that was important, it was also you feel kind of helpless, right? Because you learn about it at school, you're you're made aware of everything, but you don't have the opportunity to really engage and to to have meaningful conversations. And so that's why I I'm really glad that we have that conversation um, because it it it's just nice to to speak to a human being and to to really engage on a personal level and not just be bombarded with like documentaries and and books and and uh, while that is really important i think the 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 human connection and those personal stories are are really important yes arguably the most important right and and i, I just say too we were talking before about um you know how different people process things one important thing i think especially in education is I try and remind other educators too. It's never our students, it's never anyone's responsibility to teach us about their identity. So I think sometimes it's problematic in education. You're learned, oh, just ask questions or, oh, you know, you should talk about everything. And I think being open-minded is good and talking about things is absolutely good. Um, but what's so important about these actual human experiences is it takes all that pressure away, right? You don't necessarily, feel the pressure to talk or explain your idea to anyone. You can just make a friend and go get a beer, right? And if it comes up, it comes up and that's wonderful. But um, it's so important to, to take away just all that weird like energy around, do I, what do I say? What do I not say, right? 
Um, and so if we just remember, right, it's no one's job to teach us about their identity. And a little love and kindness just goes a really long way. If you don't know what to say, say something nice that has nothing to do with it and, mm -hmm. you know, and build a friendship around that. And then, you know, maybe, maybe you'll get back to some of the deeper questions that you have. So, so you actually went to Germany and, and experienced Germany. And, um, so what was, what was that, uh, experience like for you just experiencing the culture? It's, it's a great question. That was actually my second time. I was lucky enough um, after I finished high school, um, I went I went to Germany with a friend of mine and and that was more of just like a fun travel trip. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I think it was better the second time because I had my mom and we were going for this Nuremberg exhibit and this amazing kind of like historian who had written a book that had something to do with my grandfather. He came and met us and was the most amazing host and kind of was a tour guide. That experience went really well. My first experience as a 17 year old was quite odd. And I find very similar to a lot of Americans who, you know, identify with a culture because their grandparents came from there, but they haven't experienced it. So I got to Germany and I guess I thought maybe I'll have this like homecoming, mm -hmm. right? Maybe like, I am one of you, give me Lederhosen. Like, I've, this is this is where I'm meant to be, right? <laughs> um, and I got there, it kind of felt like any other city, right? And then in some ways, it's a bit odd because like, even with my last name, even wanting to tell people that I'm German, there's kind of this fear of um, like when my mom was there and she was speaking German and, you know, people would say, oh, you speak such fluent, like, where are you from, right? And she says, oh, New York. And it's like, why do you speak German? And it's like, well, my parents were German, but they moved away in the 40s. Like, it's kind of a weird, you know, topic to broach. So I think I inherited some of that weirdness where I was a little worried, like, what do I say? How do I explain why I'm German, but I've never been here? What do I do? Um, but the first time I went, I brought some of that fear. And then it was kind of just replaced by all of the German people I met were so friendly and everyone was so warm. And when you meet people on the street, they don't ask you, what's your life history? What's your heritage, right? You don't have to answer those questions. I could just kind of be there and see what Germany was about. Um, I was just in Munich for a couple of days, but I enjoyed the time very much. I think we went, what, to the Hofbrau where everybody goes and, you know, do normal college things. I guess I shouldn't say I work at college now, but um, it was nice to just kind of be there and get to know Germans and not, you know, not have to worry about any of that other stuff. And then the second time I went, it was more kind of heritage seeking and educational, but then my German friend Alex drove all that way and we had a lot of fun as well. So both experiences were were very good. I just had a great experience in Austria, which is right next door. Um, so I hope to go back to Germany very soon. And I do want to visit um, my great grandmother's Stoppelstein. I haven't totally figured out how to do that because that might be odd, right? Do I just show up and like, sit down next to it in the street and then explain what I'm doing to folks. I don't know. I haven't figured that out, but I do definitely plan to visit at some point. Well, I think um, I would say that, that uh, yeah, you just go there and spend time there. Um, and I mean, I think it, it depends on where you are, but Cologne is really open-minded and really um, diverse. So um, I think they, they also have this, well, there, there are also some odd people there and it's okay. Um, so whatever you do, you're, 
you're fine. Um, and actually, I wanted to ask you because you, you did link a, a Wikipedia article to a conversation that we had, and I wanted to ask you if I can share that with uh, the listeners to, to link to that. Absolutely. Um, I think you mean of the stone specifically, right? That was where mm -hmm. we found it on yeah. Wikipedia. Yeah, of course. And if anyone sees that and happens to live nearby or know someone who does, contact me. I want to learn more. Um, mainly what's really just bugging me is that even though this is this beautiful, very important artifact in our family, in the picture, it looks like maybe a bird has relieved itself on the stone or something. I don't know. I'm trying to just clean it because, and probably not that, I shouldn't be so gross, but there was like a little white spot on it. Oh, and it just drives me nuts. And you know, it's like the itch you can't scratch thousands and thousands of miles away, but I'm dying for someone to just polish the stone. So yes, please share it. And if anybody can go clean it and send me a picture, I have no idea how happy that would make me. Please do reach out to me. Um, you know, I, I'd love to talk while I say it's not, you know, other folks jobs to teach us about their identities. Some folks really like exploring these things. And I would love to offer myself um, if anyone, you know, German or any human whatsoever is interested in my story or wants to talk more or is just interested in studying away and heritage seeking. I love having those conversations and I'd love to be a research resource. So I'm so thankful again for you having me. And, you know, I think it's so important just as human beings that we get to know each other better. And I'm honored to be able to kind of learn more and more about Germany and my own heritage. And most of the experiences that I've had have been fantastic. So um, I thank you for being one of them. What is a good email address you can share where people can contact you? Uh, the best one is probably my first name, Evelyn, E-V-E-L-Y-N dot Luker, L-U-E-K-E-R at gmail.com. This was my coffee connection with Evelyn Looker. All content is created and edited by me, Honey Geist. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to geist at dad.de. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next coffee break.